and welcome to the third episode of Linklater's Asia Bite Size Antitrust 2023. I'm Marcus Pollard and I head our Asia Antitrust and Foreign Investment team here in Hong Kong. Today, I'm joined by my colleague Sunipong Kwasane from our Bangkok office and Lin Boy from Allens in Vietnam. In this episode, we will discuss some of the latest merger control trends in Southeast Asia. Antitrust authorities in the region are relatively young, and it's truly an exciting time to see new regimes be established or taking shape, and the more mature regimes becoming more streamlined. So what are we going to do today? Well, firstly, Sudipong will bring us up to speed with the latest developments in Thailand. Then we'll hear from Lin on updates in Vietnam, and then we'll discuss some merge control trends in the rest of Southeast Asia. So Sudipong, do you want to kick us off by telling us a bit more about recent developments in Thailand. Sure, Marcus. Thanks for the introduction. As some of you may know, we have both pre-closing and post-closing merger control regime in Thailand. Since the merger control regime became effective in December 2018, there are nine published clearances, and some of these are conditional clearances. And there are almost 100 post-closing notifications which have been reviewed and published by the TCC to date. There have also been some enforcement cases on delays and failure to file post-closing notifications. Up to now, there are 10 published cases where the TCC imposed a fine on the relevant parties and their directors for the delays or failure to submit post-closing notifications. And the amount of fines that we have seen ranges from slightly above 100,000 Thai baht to about 1.5 million baht. That is equivalent to 0.8 thousand to about 42 thousand US dollars. There has not been an enforcement in terms of failure to obtain pre-merger approval yet. In other updates, the TCC is considering some of the thresholds in the merger control regulations. For example, at the moment, the turnover threshold is Thai baht 1 billion or about 28 thousand US dollars. The TCC is considering whether the threshold is reflective of the current economic status in Thailand and may consider proposing bringing the threshold up to a higher level, but this remains to be seen. Indeed, while Thailand has only introduced its new merger control regime in, in late 2018, I think it's fair to say it's become one of the most active regimes in the region and definitely one to watch out for if a deal has a Thai nexus. Um, Sotipong, I also understand that in addition to the general merger control regime, Thailand also has sector-specific regulations. Is that right? Yes, that is right. In Thailand, we have three sector-specific regimes in energy, telecommunications, and broadcasting. These sector-specific regulators have decided on some of the most high-profile cases in Thailand. So, for example, um, the True and DTAC case, which are the merger between the second and the third largest mobile network operators in Thailand earlier this year. In this case, given the concentrated nature of the market, the transaction was subject to in-depth review by the National Broadcasting and Telecoms Commission. And Sudipong, that case eventually was cleared by the telco regulator, is that right? Actually, the merger control regulation in telecom sector does not require the telecom regulator's approval, but a notification must be submitted to the telecom regulator. Following their review, the telecom regulator has the power to impose conditions if the merger could have a significant negative impact on the public. In the case of True and DTAC, the telecom regulator acknowledged the merger notification and imposed certain conditions, including commitments to reduce service fee and to maintain separate service brands for three years. 
There has also been some development in the energy sector. The energy regulator issued a revised merger control regulation for energy sector in December 2022. And this new regulation expanded the scope of the rule to potentially cover M&A activities involving not only the energy business license holders, but also their related group entities. Thanks, Sudipong. That's, that's very helpful. And Lin, I'd like to turn to you now for some updates in Vietnam. Similar to Thailand, Vietnamese merger control had undergone some changes and the new law came into effect in 2020. Since then, what we've observed, at least, is that Vietnam has also become one of the key jurisdictions in Southeast Asia. Thanks, Marcus. Yes, indeed, Vietnam has been in the spotlight uh, since the new merger control regime came into effect three years ago. Um, it took a while for the new Vietnamese Competition Commission to be established under the new law, but finally it got established early this year. Uh, and at the moment, the authority are finalizing the staff appointment. So we expect that uh, we'll see more activities from the Vietnamese Competition Authority in the coming time. Lin, has there been any changes to the merger control regime in Vietnam since the establishment of the new authority, or are we expecting any changes? Um, thanks, Pong. I think that's a very good question. So when the, uh, the new Vietnamese Competition Commission was established, they came out with a new uh, merger filing form and a document outlining the review process. But ultimately, it didn't contain too many new substantive changes compared to the previous practice. So the current merger control process is quite similar to what we had before the new authority was set out. Um, it was originally expected that the new competition authority would issue more specific guidance on the merger filing process, but so far such guidance has not been issued yet. So we're still hoping that would be done in the near future to give more details on the merger filing process and implementation of the competition law, because the law in itself is quite generic and high level. And how are clients reacting to some of that uncertainty? Yeah, Marcus, I think that's, that's a challenge that we're facing in Vietnam, for sure, because one of the key issues that our clients face in Vietnam is that the merger notification thresholds are so low compared to international practice and can be triggered technically by any party to transactions. So in theory, for example, if only one party to the transactions, let's say the seller even, satisfied the asset or the revenue threshold in Vietnam, then technically that transaction may have to be notified to the Vietnamese Competition Authority, even though in practice we do recommend a specific case-by-case -case analysis to be done, uh, whether filing would need to be made or not. Um, so this technical issue has led to a quite large number of what we call technical merger filings, which has no or very limited impact on the Vietnamese market. So that definitely has created in practice a lot of unnecessary costs and time burden for companies, particularly for those parties who are doing a global transactions with limited nexus to Vietnam. Um, and the fact that in Vietnam, it can take up to the three to four months to complete a merger filing process. This uh, has created a lot of pressure on global transactions where we've experienced that Vietnam would be the last jurisdictions to clear the transaction and let it proceed to closing. Based on our experience, Lynn, uh, it seems that some of the review periods in Vietnam can actually be quite lengthy and particularly if cases fall within the official appraisal phase. Based on your observations and what you're seeing, do you have any idea of the proportion of cases that were assessed in that period? Or were they all cases with competition concerns, for example? 
Yeah, Marcus, I think in our experience so far on the deals where we were involved, most of them, I would say probably 99% would be clear in the first review phase. Um, so the official appraisal phase, which is the second phase, is not common. And what has changed since the new authority was established is that they are now allowing for automatic clearance. So under Vietnamese law, if the authority has confirmed the receipt of the complete merger filing notifications, and if the parties don't hear from the authority within 30 days after that, then they can proceed with the transactions without having to wait for a formal written confirmation of clearance from the authority. So that's a new change that can help the parties to accelerate the timing. But coming back to the point I've raised earlier, even in the non um, you know, a contentious uh, first phase approval process that can take three to four months. So that can also drag the deal timeline. So again, we're all in Vietnam hoping that the Vietnamese Competition Authority would issue guidelines on a fast track process to clear transactions that have limited impact on the Vietnamese market. Before wrapping up for today's session, I would like to ask Marcus for your observations on merger control trends in other Southeast Asian jurisdictions. Sure. So I think some of the authorities in the region have been actively reviewing their merger control systems, including the merger control threshold. So, for example, in March this year, Indonesia issued new merger control regulations. Its asset threshold will now be met by taking into account the merging parties' combined assets in Indonesia instead of the parties' combined assets globally. So that's a welcome change as uh, in, in previous deals, that global asset threshold actually resulted in quite a number of merger filings being triggered, even if there was a limited or no nexus in Indonesia. Similarly, in Philippines, they raised their turnover notification thresholds earlier this year. So those kind of changes are likely to narrow down the number of notifications, which will help those authorities really focus their resources on transactions that are more likely to have a significant impact on competition. We're also expecting to see more active merger control regimes across Southeast Asia. Currently, six of the 10 countries in ASEAN have active cross-sector merger control regimes in place. And this year, that also includes Cambodia, which has just started implementing its regime in early September. It's also worth noting that Malaysia is currently working towards a cross-sector merger control system. At present, Malaysia only has a sector-specific merger control in aviation and communications sector. However, there are now draft legislative amendments to introduce cross-sector merger control, and those are being considered and will be tabled in the Malaysian Parliament later this year. So, Sulipang, I have one last question here. Are we expecting regulators in the region, and particularly in ASEAN, to work together more closely in the future? Yes, indeed. ASEAN is currently in the process of developing an information sharing portal for merger reviews, which would enable member states to share merger information. This may allow antitrust authorities to potentially detect unnotified transactions and work together on cross-border cases. This portal is reportedly coming into effect by the end of the year. It does seem to me that there will be some issues that the authorities will need to iron out. For example, how would the confidentiality obligations are complied with under the national laws when sharing information with other authorities in the region? Well, thanks to Dipong and Lin for those updates and probably raising a lot of questions we don't all have the answers for. But if you do have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us and we'll be happy to discuss further. In our next episode, 
we'll be discussing merger control and foreign investment issues in M&A transactions. But until then, thank you for listening and goodbye.